Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Alabama AgCast. This is William Green, Wildlife Division Director of the Alabama Farmers Federation. And today I am joined in studio by Mr. Mitt Walker, our National Affairs uh, Director. Mitt, good to have you in. Thank you, William. Good to be with you. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about something um, that we usually hear a lot of throughout the year. Um, But right now when folks are harvesting uh, corn and cotton and peanuts, uh, we're starting to hear a lot more, um, I guess, say complaints um, as people are in the field and seeing what's going on. Uh, Today we're going to talk about uh, wild pigs. Yeah, William, that's one of the topics. It it doesn't matter where we go, who we talk to, invariably, um, wild pigs seem to come into the conversation. We can go talk to farmers about irrigation or or whatever else might be on our mind, but somebody in the crowd always wants to to tell us what they're experiencing with with wild pigs here in the state. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a universal problem. I I know folks in certain counties, particularly South Alabama, have a much harder time with pigs, um, but but like you said, I, I could be on a visit in Colbert County or in Houston County, it doesn't matter. Uh, usually pigs get brought up. Yeah. Well, William, what makes it so difficult to control pigs out in the landscape? I know, you know, there's a lot of effort going into it, lots of agencies, lots of money being thrown at it. But um, for those that don't know, tell us why it is so tricky to control these things. Yeah. So a, a quick biology lesson, I guess, on pigs and, and most of our folks listening probably already know this, but we've had pigs uh, really since the Spanish explorers came and brought them over as a free-ranging life, uh, livestock. Since then, they, they really have populated much more heavily in the southern uh, part of the state and the southern U.S. Uh, because of translocation. Um, a pig doesn't move very far on its own. Most of the time, the, the, they get spread from county to county or place to place in the back of a pickup truck. Um, with the I guess the the rise in popular or popularity of hunting pigs, uh, so has brought more pigs to the landscape. Now they are you know prolific breeders. You you'll see stats from all over the place of you know four to eight in a litter, sometimes as many as twelve. Usually it's about six, and they can have two litters a year. You compound that with they eat everything. They can put their mouth around, and and you really get a habitat generalist that puts a lot of different bodies on the landscape. So you've got pigs out there, and we understand you know they're reproducing rapidly and all that. What types of problems are they causing on the landscape from a from an agricultural perspective, but also from an ecological perspective? Yeah, it, interestingly enough, they really kind of damage whatever they're near. Um, they're, I've heard them referred to as an eco terrorist before, and it's a pretty fitting term. Whether it's row crops, they have documented damage of going down rows during planting and taking care of the seed that's being put in the ground, or coming through when cotton or corn is trying to grow. They have documented them going down long leaf plantations and ripping up seedlings, which will really hurt your feelings if you waited for three years for them to get out of that grass stage and they come up and rip those up. But in addition to that, you know, there's all kind of disease concerns with brucellosis, uh, swine fever, pseudo rabies, plus surface damages like anything to your roads or your pasture. Uh, they could also damage equipment. So, I mean, th- there's all kinds of estimates out there. I think probably the most up-to-date one is somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to $80 million in just Alabama alone. And you can extrapolate that for the southeast or the country, and you're you're looking at, at, at a huge number of damage there. Yeah, and it's not just row crops. I mean, you know, hay, pasture land also, I know, have been devastated in certain parts of the state. I've seen the photos and been actually out on site at a couple of places where 
they've really done a lot of damage, you know, acres and acres of damage on, on pasture land. Yeah, it, it doesn't take them long once they find, whether it's nutgrass or whatever it is, the grubs they're looking for, they can really move in and, and use up a resource till it's gone. We kind of mentioned at the top of the show that the damage is, is year-round, but, but right now when people are in the field harvesting is when you're really starting to notice it. So, Mitt, I, I guess pitching it to you for a question or two here. When we started a couple of years ago, really focusing on wild pigs, where were we in terms of federal funding for different programs? Yeah, going back a few years ago, William, there was a a program out there, the National Feral Swine Damage Management Program. It was being funded at about $20 million a year annually, and that's a nationwide type program. So USDA Wildlife Services would take those dollars and then determine the best use of, of those dollars. So, you know, they may have projects going on in different states or around the country. And Alabama has, has always benefited to some degree from that. But again, because we were hearing so much from our membership, and frankly, because our congressional delegation was beginning to hear a lot from their constituents about the ongoing problems, um, we've worked uh, with, with some other groups, but I, I think primarily we've been the ones to, to drive the um, increase in that, that funding. Over the course of several years, through the annual appropriations process, we've moved that number from about $20 million annually to about $30 million annually. Again, that's a nationwide investment, but thanks to the work of several members of our delegation, Alabama has benefited uh, tremendously from that, and we've got a, a on-ground presence now of, of dedicated federal uh, officials through wildlife services that are working hand-in-hand with producers to um, try to mitigate some of the damage that they're experiencing. Yeah, and, and not only that in, in terms of, uh, I guess, annual funding, but there's also been some work on the Farm Bill, too. Yeah, the last Farm Bill passed, and, and it included a pilot project, so about $75 million over the course of the five years of the Farm Bill was included in, in the last last piece of legislation. And again, because of the problems that we're having, um, Alabama was one of the states that was chosen to benefit from that program. The money was divided kind of equally between USDA Wildlife Services and USDA NRCS um, and have those two agencies working hand in hand to try to do some unique things on the ground. I think one of the, the neat things about it being a pilot program, the monies were put out there in different regions of the country are looking at different control techniques. So in the case of Alabama, we're looking at going into a particular watershed and trying to completely eliminate the feral swine from a particular watershed. Those projects may look a little different in other parts of the country. I think they're trying some different control techniques there, but from an Alabama perspective, that is the the route we're on here. And William, you may want to talk a little bit about what counties were involved in that and, and some of the work that's involved there. Yeah, so um, for that feral swine control and eradication project, again, this is a a pilot program through the Farm Bill, but it's really focused on South Alabama. Um, The the main two, uh, I guess, pilot project areas are called the Gulf Coast and the Wiregrass. Gulf Coast uh, encompasses Baldwin and Escambia County, and then the Wiregrass covers Houston, Henry, with a little bit in Dale and Geneva counties as well. And and like you mentioned, these, these projects here are really pretty intensive, heavy labor management objectives. 
and there's really two sides of it. The first is if you are directly in the watershed, you can get assistance through wildlife services to have professionals come out, trap, and remove pigs on your property. There's really no cost to you. You should have to sign up and be a cooperator, and you get that service. Additionally, if you're a landowner in the area and say you're adjacent to the watershed, maybe not really directly in there, there is um, a 70% cost share available through the Soil and Water Conservation Committee that you can get to purchase any type of, uh, I guess, approved wildlife trap. And I'm, I'm talking all your main name brands, Boar Buster, Jaeger Pro, Pig Brig, all, all the ones that, that you have seen in magazines and you know about. You get a 70% cost share there to do your own management. And the thought is, as these wildlife services professionals are moving through a watershed, removing pigs from the landscape. And, and the, the thought is, I, I try to think of it like a, a growing dot. So you put one dot on the paper and it just keeps expanding. And the hope is that at the end of the program, we can look back and say, okay, we've been able to reduce damage by X amount. We've been able to um, improve water quality or reduce damage to water quality. And we've gotten more landowners enrolled in this program and now know what to do to get rid of pigs. So, William, if you're not in one of those particular pilot project areas and, and you're a landowner in another part of the state, you're experiencing, you know, issues with, with feral swine damaging forest land crops, whatever the case may be. What are some, some things that are available to you as a landowner? Yeah, I, I get this question a lot. And, and I know sometimes when you when you see these programs and you see um, there's a lot of money being funneled in certain areas of the state, usually there's a reason for that, right? I mean, there's a lot of row crop agriculture in those those particular reasons. It's, it's easy to quantify the damage there. It's easier to see the pigs and, and remove them. However, there's plenty of, of options available to you outside of those areas. We joke around a lot here that we love working with wildlife services and we think they're, they're a great federal agency to get to work with. But they have staff all over the state that can help you in several different ways. And the way that works, it can be a little confusing at first, but you have to sign an agreement with them to be a cooperator to remove pigs. And there are different levels of that cooperation operation agreement. So you can have all types of things from uh, technical assistance to having them come out and show you how to trap, help you assemble a trap, or you can have them trap for you where they're doing all the heavy lifting and removing the pigs. And additionally, you can also sign up and get the use of the helicopter. We do have a helicopter that's kind of shared in the southeastern region between a couple of different states. I'm sure plenty of people have gone to YouTube and seen the videos of the the people shooting pigs out of, out of the helicopter. And it, it is effective here but I don't want you to think that it's as, as popular, as effective uh, here as it is in, in Texas. We have a little more cover than they do. So all those are available on the federal side. Uh, you can also get a depredation permit through Department of Conservation to keep shooting them throughout the year. Extension has a bunch of educational material as well. So there's there's plenty of options out there to get the assistance you need if, if you're willing to look for it. Well, let's take a quick break right here, William, and hear from our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the program, and we'll be right back. And when we come back, I want to find out if William's been up in that helicopter <laughs> it's never a dull day on the farm especially when your day starts before the sun comes up we're alabama ag credit and while some don't get it we do as the local experts in rural real estate financing we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources 
So, William, we left them with a little bit of a cliffhanger going into the break. Have you actually been up in the helicopter to so, do any shooting? So it's funny you mention that, and I think this was a setup for you. I was not uh, allowed to go in the helicopter. It was down here for one day when we had a field day, and they needed to transport at least one Alpha employee to a different area for a demonstration. And it was down to uh, you and I, and they picked you to go over there instead of me. So I have not gotten to go, but I, I, I like to think that it was probably a good experience for you to get to see how they operate on the air. First time I've been in a helicopter, don't want to go back anytime soon, but I, I do find it interesting to see that that is just one of the tools in the toolbox, so to speak. That's one of the things we talk about here a lot is, you know, in terms of controlling the pigs, there, there are a variety of techniques and, and there's really no silver bullet out there. Sometimes it's a combination of different practices to try to, to get control. But with that, what are some of the, the things that are maybe coming down the pike, William, to, to add some tools to that toolbox, so to speak? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and like you mentioned, the, the helicopter is, is flashy and it, it looks cool and it is effective, but it, not one thing is available to us yet that, that really is, like you said, the silver bullet. Before I tell you what's, what's coming up, I did want to mention that right now, to the best of our ability, the best way to get rid of pigs is whole sounder removal. That's trapping the whole group at once, removing them, and then kind of baiting it again and see if you can catch anything else. So that being said, looking into the future and into the crystal ball a little bit here, a lot of you have probably heard of the sodium nitrite toxicant that's being developed by USDA Wildlife Services. This is a product that will, I guess, euthanize the pigs pretty close to a bait station. They are uh, just wrapped up their second round of field tests here in Alabama in August. Pretty excited that they chose Alabama and Texas as the two test sites. Thankful for the relationship we have with those guys being able to come down here and get the, the data they need. I can tell you without, without giving too much away that it was very effective down here, but they are taking it back to Colorado to do a few more tweaks to the formulation, getting the report ready and sending it to EPA. We expect that still to be probably two years at the earliest away. EPA has a pretty long approval process. Additionally, some other things that you may have seen on the, the state side are the nighttime shooting hunting license. That has kind of made a big splash in, the, the I guess, the hunting world. And while that is an option, I, I did want to make sure that, that everybody knew that if you are a, a farmer, a producer, you still are able to get your depredation permit. You don't necessarily need that license to, to get pigs out of your crop. And this is this is William talking again. While, while you can use that as an option to mitigate your damage, it, think, think about it this way. When I'm out in the field, I can only shoot one or two pigs at a time, right? I mean, most people aren't the best shot in the world. They don't practice a lot. So it's your best case scenario, you're getting two. Well, when you've got a sound or a 40 or 50, that's, that's not doing a whole lot. So that, I, I, don't, I try to steer people away from nighttime shooting as a, as a true management technique. I guess last thing I'll mention, Mitt, there's been a lot of talk over the years over uh, about some contraceptives and other toxicants, and, and those are still being developed, but, but from what we're hearing here in the home office, they're, they're just not quite ready yet. Whether they couldn't replicate results in a lab, in the field, or there still needs some tweaks to make sure that they're species-specific, there's still some things that they're trying to iron out. So while we're holding on hope for those, we think that the first one that will be available probably for widespread use will be that sodium nitrite toxicant. Well, I think the takeaway as we kind of start wrapping things up is there are a lot of opportunities out there for people that are having problems. The best thing to do, like William talked about, is reach out to some of these agencies that are there to help you. Certainly call us here at the home office. Uh, William Green's always available to, to steer you in the right direction. 
a lot of work left to be done, but I think there's also a lot of work that's been done, and I think that's something that hopefully our, our folks will appreciate around the, the state, that this is an issue that we've dedicated a lot of time and effort to, and certainly a, a challenge. It's not something that's going to go away overnight, but we will continue to be focused on that moving forward. Yeah, thanks for that. And, and I, I do want to say, too, Mitt, thanks for all you've done here at home, but also at Washington. You know, a lot of stuff uh, happens behind the scenes that, that people don't get to see or uh, maybe we don't celebrate as much as we should. But thanks for all you've done for the producers uh, here in Alabama. Uh, and with that, everybody, we will uh, wrap it up today. Thanks for joining us for this week's AgCast. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. Hey, this is Hunter McBrayer with the Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. I wanted to reach out and invite you to the 2021 Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers Trade Show and Conference taking place in November the 18th and 19th in Gulf Shores, Alabama at the Lodge at Gulf State Park. This year's show will be bigger and better than ever, featuring 32 individual breakout sessions following four tracks, including tree fruit, small fruit, vegetable production, and farm management. We'll also feature 35 trade show exhibitors that are specifically geared to serving those in the fruit and vegetable industry. You can find out more information by going to the AFVGA Facebook page by looking on the AFVGA.org website under the Conferences tab or under the Events tab on the Alabama Farmers Federation website, alphafarmers.org. We look forward to seeing all of you there November 18th and 19th in beautiful Gulf Shores, Alabama. Remember, registration closes October the 4th. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash AgCast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.